You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Abraham's one of the key, uh, key characters, key players in God's redemptive plan. I said this last week, I'll say it again this week, that when we read God's Word, when we read the Bible, we see these characters, and there's like characters of a play on a stage. They're there playing the parts that God, hey, and we see that God is the director, and he's also the playwright. So God uses these people, Abraham, and we, talk, we talked a little bit about the characters, great characters of the Bible, Abraham, Moses, David, and on and on. But all of these people, yes, they may be considered heroes of the faith, but they're not that really of good people. They're pretty messed up like you and I are. They're pretty... Um, they have sin in their lives, and they have that, that manifests itself. And so we're going to see a little bit of that today, that Abraham, here God is going to use him as a key piece in his redemptive plan, but God uses a broken human being like Abraham. So God, we saw last week that God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Then in verse 7, God told Abraham, I'm going to move you from your, the, the land of your father to a promised land, and to this promised land, I'm going to give it to your offspring. Then we saw in Genesis 15 that God told uh, Abraham in Genesis 15, 4, an heir will come from your own body. He said in verse 5 of Genesis 15 that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. God made this covenant with Abraham. We even saw last week how uh, God uh, demonstrated this covenant to Abraham by the sacrifice of animals, and they, they separated the, animals, the bodies of the animals there, and that God demonstrated the covenant. Now, God made this covenant with Abraham. He says, your offspring will be the numerous as the stars. He told him in Genesis 12, I'll make you a great nation. He even told him, Through your seed, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God made this covenant with Abraham. And we talked about how covenants are the backbone of the Bible. God operates through covenants. There's only one problem here. Abraham's old. He's old. His wife is old. They are not able to have children. And so when God says, I will make you a great nation... Through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. When God tells Abraham an heir will come from your own body, and he tells him that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, there's a big problem there because there is no offspring. And Abraham is not of the age that people are normally having babies. And so there is this huge amount of faith and trust that that Abraham must have in God. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. We saw last week that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15. But I want us to go to Genesis chapter 16. Because Abraham has a moment of unbelief where he doesn't believe God, 
He doesn't trust God's plan. And Abraham and his wife Sarah decide to take matters into their own hands. Now, before we read this in Genesis 16, it would be easy of us to be judgmental of Abraham and Sarah, wouldn't it? Like, come on, guys. God made you this promise. You should believe, you should trust. And see, we have the advantage of our hindsight being 2020. We know, a lot of us know the rest of the story. But Abraham and Sarah didn't. And so as we approach this passage here in Genesis 16, and we see Abraham and Sarah's unbelief, I want us to approach this passage not being judgmental, but understanding it's most likely you and I might have done the exact same thing. You say, Adam, really? Absolutely. Because I have a tendency and you have a tendency to take, to not trust God and take matters in our own hands. There's many times in our lives when we don't trust God. We understand the promises that God has given us, but we don't trust Him. We don't follow Him. We don't hold our lives with an open hand with God, but we have a tendency to, to grab on to certain things and hold on to certain things really, really tightly. And we tell God, you can have this area of my life, but you can't have this area. And so I want us to approach this life of Abraham and Sarah in this very real moment for them, not passing judgment, but of identifying with them. So look at this in Genesis chapter 16 and look at verse 1. Abram's wife Sarah had not born any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps for her I can build a family. And Abram, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Whoa. So now this moment of God is saying, I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you air, of your, of, uh, uh, air from your own body. This now turns into a moment of, of dysfunction. Sarah goes to Abram and says, take my maid, take, take my maid and go into her and have a child with her. So what does Abraham do? He does what his wife tells him to do. He goes into the tent. She, go, she gets pregnant. She's going to have a child. And now Sarah's mad. So there's this jealousy that's there, and then keep going here, and we'll go to verse 6. Abram replied to Sarah, here your slave is in your hands, do whatever you want with her. Then Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord, verse 7, found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said to Hagar, the slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I am running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress, submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and it will be too many to count. So we see here what happens. Abraham and Sarah, Abraham knew God's promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. Through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting. 
20 years had gone by since God had made that initial promise. 20 years. And Abraham and Sarah decide, we're going, we're going to take matters in our own hands. And Abraham goes into Hagar, and she has a son by him named Ishmael. So as we talk about Abraham as, yes, he's a great hero of the faith. He was very reveal, a very revered figure in the Bible. Abraham is still human. He makes mistakes. He doesn't trust God, but God doesn't use him. And so as we continue on looking at the life of Abraham and how God used him in his redemptive plan, I don't want us to walk away from Abraham feeling like Abraham's some spiritual giant. Oh, no. In fact, he makes mistakes like you and I do. And he doesn't trust God. But then he, so here in Genesis 16, Abraham takes things into his own hands. And then over in Genesis 18, Three visitors come to Abraham. They come to Abraham and they tell him that he's going to have a son, that he's going to have an offspring. Just repeats God's promise. And Sarah hears that. And in the middle of chapter 18, it says that Sarah laughs. Now, again, I don't want us to be judgmental of Sarah, okay? Sarah is an elderly lady. So look at verse 9 of chapter 18. It says, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. That's a really polite way of saying they're old. It says, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. Now, we can be, again, judgmental of Sarah here, but when's the last time you knew of a senior citizen having a baby? It doesn't happen. And so Sarah laughs. She's like, this is unreal. This isn't going to happen. And so we see that in Genesis 18. So we can see the doubt and the mistrust of Abraham and Sarah. Very, very human. But now turn to Genesis 21. So we get a kind of an inside look at Abraham and Sarah's life and the struggle that they're having. God's saying, you're going to have offspring. I'll give you an heir from your own body. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through your family. And they're trying to trust God. They're trying to do the best they can, but they're filled with doubt and even almost sarcasm. Now look at Genesis 21 and look at verse 1. It says this, the Lord came to Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. 
She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse, would nurse children, yet have born a son for him in his old age? And so Sarah, what a testimony there by Sarah, verse 6. She says, God has made me laugh. She's saying, God, even in the midst of my sorrow of not having a child, God has brought me joy. God has brought me a promised son, Isaac. Now let's go over to Genesis 22. Because all these years, decades, God had said, I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you an heir. God finally does. And now God is going to ask Abraham to do the impossible. So look at verse 1 of Genesis 22, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. It says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This request and command from God had to have been crushing. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Don't read the Bible like a newspaper. Read it like a movie script. Can you imagine the emotions? Can you imagine the questions that you would have, that I would have? I mean, I would sit there, I would be Abraham, and I would say, whoa, 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 time out. This is the promised son. You promised this to me decades ago. And now you're going to have him be sacrificed for my sin as a burnt offering? That would be a real struggle. And God even acknowledges to Abraham how much he loves him. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. God knows what he's asking Abraham. Whom you love, he knows what's at stake here. And God is asking Abraham, do you trust me? Because previously in Abraham's life, he hasn't trusted him. Abraham goes into Hagar. Abraham doesn't trust. Abraham twice is approached by kings and to take Sarah, his wife, and he lies who Sarah is and says, this is my sister. So Abraham has a tendency to not trust God. And so God tests him again. Now, there are times in our lives that this is very real, that God tests us. That God tests us and he asks us, do you really believe me? Do you really trust me? Many times, it, God asks us what our trust level is with him, with something that is nearest and dearest to our heart. God often puts on the table what is most important to us. He says, do you trust me? Do you believe me? And as we said last week, that whenever God asks his people to do something hard, whenever God asks his people to do something uncomfortable, Whenever God asks his people to take a leap of faith and trust him, God does something big. 
So I ask you the same question that I asked last week to all of us. What is it that God is asking you and I to trust Him with? As a church, what is God asking us to take a leap of faith to do? That could be hard, that could be uncomfortable, but that may not even feel right. Because every time that God leads his people to take a leap of faith, he does something great. Let's keep going. Look at verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning. Now, I wish Moses, when he wrote Genesis, I wish he would have elaborated a little bit more between verses 2 and 3. Because God just makes this command and it says, so Abraham got up early in the morning. Like, when I get to heaven, I want to sit down with Moses and just say, listen, man, like, could you give him a little bit more details of the in-between here overnight? Like, what was Abraham's thought processes? Was there questions there? But we just see Abraham got up early in the morning. Things have changed in the life of Abraham. So Abraham, verse 3, so Abraham got up early in, in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering. Abraham must have been quite in shape for a hundred-year-old dude. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, three days go by, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Again, I want us to put ourselves there. For three days, Abraham is journeying with Isaac and two servants. And after three days, he sees the place and the distance. And you can only imagine what was going through Abraham's mind. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go there over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, my father, he said, here I am, my son, Isaac said, the, father, uh, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Now I want us to just take a step back for just a moment and ask ourselves the question, why were burnt offerings and sacrifices necessary? Why were burnt offerings and sacrifices necessary? necessary? Well, one, because of human sinfulness. Because of our sinfulness, something needs to die. God requires the payment for sin is for something to die. So during this time, they sacrificed animals, lambs, goats, to be sacrificed for the sins of the one committing the sacrifice. And so that animal would represent that person. Wrath would be poured out upon that lamb or animal, whatever was going to be sacrificed. In this case, Isaac. Judgment, punishment would be poured out on that sacrifice. The sins of the individual 
committing the sacrifice, the sins of that person would be placed upon the sacrifice and would die for the payment of the sin. So here, Isaac, the son, is going to die for the father's sin. And that just doesn't seem right, does it? Because parents, ideally, parents are not supposed to bury their children. Children are supposed to bury their parents. That's the way it is. Now, we know that, unfortunately, that's not how that always works. And so, we see that God... Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. So we see a picture here of Isaac, this wood being placed upon Isaac, Isaac going up the hill to die for the sins of his father. We see a small picture of Christ, that a son would be given to come and die for the sins of another but we're going to see that there's even a better sacrifice coming. Go to verse 9. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. I'm not going to go into all the details just for sake of time this morning of what a sacrifice would entail, but it was, it was a slaughter. It was bloody. It was gory. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do, not any, do, or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. So just before Abraham goes to kill his son Isaac, the angel of the Lord calls out to him and tells him not to commit the sacrifice. And he says, For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And then verse 13 and 14 are the key verses in the passage. Abraham looks up and he looks in, the, in a thicket. And there he sees the ram with some horns caught in the thicket. And it says that, off, that Abraham offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. There's a picture of Jesus in this. You see, Isaac was on the altar and ready to be sacrificed. Now, we could sit here and say, well, Isaac didn't deserve to die there. Isaac didn't deserve to be sacrificed. But when we take a step back and we think about it, yes, he did. Because Isaac was a human, Isaac was sinful just like you and I are. So Isaac did deserve to die. Isaac did deserve to be on that altar to die for his sin. So then God provides a substitute, a ram, a ram caught in the thicket. God provides the substitute 
offering. Abraham takes this substitute, removes Isaac from the altar, and puts the ram there and sacrifices the ram in place of Isaac. Faith family, there's really not a more clear picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ than that. Because when we look at our own human sinfulness and our depravity, we deserve to die. We deserve to have the wrath of God of sin poured out upon us. We deserve to die for our own sin. We deserve separation from God. That is what we deserve. But God provided a better sacrifice than an animal or even ourselves. See, we couldn't die for our own sin. Because that sacrifice has to be perfect. Because God is holy, He requires a perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice. So you and I can't even die for our own sins. Because we're sinful. We're not spotless. We're not blameless. And so God provided His only Son, Jesus. Now, it's not as if God sent one of his kids to die for us as we understand the deity of Christ, God came and substituted himself and took his own wrath upon sin, and he died for us to provide us salvation so we could live spiritually. And so all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Genesis, specifically where we're at, God sprinkles in little hints, little signs of what this rescuer was going to come. So let's go down now to verse 15 as we close. It says this, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's dec- declaration, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. And so God, again, reemphasizes the covenant that Abraham, that he made with Abraham, that his offspring Through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You say, Adam, what does this have to do with us today? It has everything to do with us today. Because you and I have a tendency to try to sacrifice ourselves, don't we? I can earn favor with God. If I just go to church enough, I can be right with God. If I read my Bible enough, I can be right with God. If I pray enough, I can be right with God. If I give enough money to charity, I can be right with God. If I go to enough Bible studies, I can be right with God. When in reality, we cannot sacrifice enough for our own sin. Only Jesus could do that. And he came and died for our sins. And so if you are a believer here this morning in Jesus Christ, let me give you a very freeing thought. Stop trying to be good. Now, as Ken read for us, faith without works is 
dead, and so it's not live however we want and do whatever we want. No, when we believe in Jesus, there's an inward transformation to where our lives are changed to where, yes, we may sin, but we do not keep continuing to sin, and we have an aversion to sin. We don't want to sin. We still do, but we don't want to. We don't desire it. We find it disgusting. But we can stop trying to please God by whatever works of righteousness we can dream up. What God desires in us is a relationship, and then that relationship changes us to where we live as Jesus lived, a perfect life. And then if you're here this morning, perhaps you've never believed in Jesus. Perhaps you've never really understood what Christ has provided for you and that He substituted Himself for you to pay for your sin. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you looked upon us as a human race, as sinful, as broken, as messed up. God, we even thank you for these examples of people in your word that though you used them in a great way, they were still sinful and they had a tendency to not fully trust you. So we thank you just for the picture of your goodness and redemptive nature in Abraham. But God, most of all, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to come to substitute himself on that altar to die for our sin. Jesus, we, we thank you that you, died the, that you died the death that we could not die, that you lived the life that we could not live, and then that you were res- resurrected to give us brand new spiritual life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.